ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Welcome to another edition of Hard to Paint, uh, specifically the Dome Patrol with my friend Ross Jackson. I'm so glad to have Ross back. It's been a while since we've gotten to do this on the Hard to Paint format. We've been doing Dome Patrol 2 on Crunch Time on 103.7 The Game for a while, but we hadn't been able to do these as frequently as we had in the past. So, Ross, first and foremost, I'm glad we get to do it in this format again uh, because it's a little freer. We get a little more time to get into certain topics, no commercial interruptions and things like that. But ultimately, um, it's good to be back in Hard in the Paint because you and I have had these discussions for a while about being in the in the in the media in this regard mm-hmm. and having these places where um, we can be part of the bigger discussion. And I enjoy doing that at on Crunch Time and on 1037. And that ended so abruptly. Yeah. I'm I'm glad that I built this space for myself that's uniquely mine that I don't have to worry about any commercial um, tie-ins or or corporate uh, um, objections to anything that I might say or do. Mm -hmm. But there's also a sense of loss for for me and for what we had, you know, even in that one little weekly segment on the show, because I think that there's, it's an important thing for not just representation and I hate it being that base, but there is a value in that representation, first and foremost. But I think that we brought yeah. something different to the conversation just on its merits. It wasn't right. the same 10 to 20 minutes each week of football conversation. And I think right. that, that there's just a need for that, a diverse way of talking about the game um, in the on the airwaves. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, it, it always helps to have the additional perspectives in terms of you know, the way that maybe the game is looked at differently by different people. Right. And what is important to us versus what is important to them? You know what I mean? And I think that we did a good job during that in terms of broadcasting for that region, what it was that was important when it came to the game of football to us, we talked about, we talked about role models. We talked about, you know, more than just what was happening on the field. We talked about past players that had impact. We talked about, you know, comments or, you know, um, the, you know, we had honest conversations about the racial divide in terms of how things are perceived across or, or even disseminated in many cases across the NFL. Right. I mean, that was before, that show, like just on that station, like we did all of that in, in even its previous, you know, our previous versions and everything. And, and I thought that that brought something really special to um, the people that, that supported the people that listened and the people that were kind enough to make us a part of their day, you know, during those weekly segments and everything. And so I, I feel you, I completely understand like the feeling of loss in a moment like that, though I'm glad that you're not entirely lost, right? Like right. you still, you still have ways to to get to people. You still have ways for people to find you and everything like that. Like you're an unstoppable force, man. Like I'm not <laughs> worried about you. You know what I mean? But like it's it it was something different. It was something special, and I just wish that it would have been seen as such. Yeah, and I think another part of it too is that when we have these discussions, I think so many of them are fan centric. And that's great. 
you know, fans need to be serviced in that regard. Mm-hmm. They, but I think we also did a great job of bringing in a perspective of saying, let's detach ourselves and remove ourselves a little bit from that fan perspective and try to be more big picture view and mm-hmm. give fans some of that too and see that the world is bigger than how they perceive it. Cause there is a right. narrowing of your cone of vision when you are a fan. Um, I think that's just natural. You're, you're focused on your team and what right. it's doing and sometimes you need a broader perspective. And I think we try to do that as well mm-hmm. and just, you know, give fans that opportunity to, to step back for a moment. Cause I think we all have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, and, 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 and we do that ourselves. And I think there are times where we sort of do that in reflection while we're having our discussions, right? There are moments where it's like, hold on, wait, I need to look at this from another, from a bigger, wider perspective, right? I need to widen that cone because you're right, right? It's easy to focus down and particularly like people that are in our positions to where we have things that we do better than we do other things. Like I am a much better I, I find that I am much better at narrative storytelling and analytics conversations than I am at, say, film conversations. I know that I am better pre-recorded than I am live. You know what I mean? Like there are just those things that um, that are a part of brand building for you to where you have to know, OK, do I have the ability to sit back, widen my perspective and then be able to attack something from multiple angles so that. A lot of other people hear their ideas represented, but also people who are hearing their ideas represented are also hearing new ideas, new thoughts, new angles on the same topic, right? I think that was that's a big part of it. And we'll do this again, certainly, um, is when we had Maddie on for the two yeah. times that we've had conversations with her, she brings a completely different vibe and a completely different energy and perspective than we have. And it's, it's you know, you and I are not the same, but she's different than both of us. And I, yeah. I love that new dynamic that, you know, when we add that to the to the fray. The patrol. We need the patrol. Yeah. You can't just be all dome. <laughs> so we would definitely have Maddie back. And, and I mean, I, look, again, just to shout out Maddie uh, who for the great year that she had. Man, uh, what a 2021, huh? And it's already bleeding into 2022. Girls doing right. uh, play-by-play now and right. I mean, color commentary for basketball. Mm-hmm. I said, like, I got to watch out. She on my heels, man, trying to take all the jobs. <laughs> like, she out there trying to take all the jobs. <laughs> I'm going to go get me a blonde wig and start auditioning for some of her parts. <laughs> I, mean, I think you got a little bit more work to do than that, just the blonde wig. <laughs> You got about a, probably about a, yeah, I was going to say, you got probably about an 18 month process ahead of you, brother. Do the whole face off thing. <laughs> it's yeah. not going to look good though. Good, yeah. good eight hours in a chair. Every <laughs> <It's not good. laughs> I'm sorry, Maddie. If you see a six foot three inch, 250 pound black man kind of looking like you, I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> that I was promise, I promise it's only it's only for the advancement of my own people. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk some football uh, and talk about the New Orleans Saints as we mm-hmm. do here. Um, this is this is an, a, a strange, crazy, historic week. Yeah. The first 17 game season in NFL history. It comes down to the wire for the New Orleans Saints. And here we are, what we, what, you know, no matter how this circuitous, this path has been, the Saints are on the doorstep of the playoffs. Man, who would have thunk it? Yeah, it's wild, right? 
I mean, you know, I think that a lot of us had pegged this team to be a playoff team, a 9, 10, 11 win team at the beginning of this season, when the only conversations were about that they were without a Hall of Fame quarterback and that they shaved $111 million off their salary cap. But since then, so much has happened throughout this season. And I think for a lot of people, like the $100 million shaving off of the salary cap thing feels like it's the season before last or a little bit more removed than it really is. Right. But it was, you know, it was just less than a year ago that the saints had to do that in terms of a calendar year. And it was just this past off season. And so you go from that to 21 days displaced due to hurricane Ida, uh, opening up your home schedule in Jacksonville with this unprecedented 38 to three victory over the reigning MVP, Aaron Rodgers and, and the green Bay Packers. Then you go from that to week two against Carolina, where you have like 12 members of your coaching staff and six game day coaching staff members on the COVID reserve list, so on and so forth, all the way leading up to Jameis Winston's injury against the Bucks. That same week, you learned that Michael Thomas isn't coming back. You learned earlier that year that Will Lutz wasn't coming back. You got the five kicker carousel, including Will Lutz. Then you got four starting quarterbacks for the Saints, more COVID issues, 22 players unavailable against the Miami Dolphins, including four more coaching staff as well. Five game losing streak. And yet here we are saying, well, you know, if the Saints win this weekend and you get a very likely bit of help from the Los Angeles Rams knocking off the San Francisco 49ers. Well, you know, they're just a playoff team. It's, it's incredible. It's great. Oh, and I didn't mention that they also won a game and shut out the reigning Super Bowl champions without their head coach on the sideline. I should probably mention that. And with their backup quarterback. Right. Yeah, all those things are just, it's incredible. It's, it's, there yeah. is no season like this. And then let's start with the funniest part about this is because I saw this, you know, you were, the, um, somebody posted a list of the, the coach of the year candidates. Oh, goodness. And it was eight coaches, and not one of them is Sean Payton. Right. And look, no, no disrespect to, to Zach Taylor, no disrespect to Cliff Kingsbury and, and Serini and all these folks who have had years, but this all the, the litany of things you just went through, an NFL record for players used in a single season. 58, yeah. And 58 starters, yeah. Uh, yeah, for starters, I mean, what the Titans have more players used, but the Saints have used mm-hmm. more starters. Um, and all the other things, the division that they're in, the, the, what they've had to face, the conference that they're in, the right. NFC being clearly the tougher conference mm-hmm. of the two. And nobody wants to talk about Sean Payton. And I, it's, it is bizarre. Yeah. And it still remains this anomaly to me that New Orleans seems to exist in a world separate from the NFL at times that yeah. if the NFL can compartmentalize new Orleans and put everything it does off to the side, except when it kind of needs to utilize new Orleans. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, any yeah, other time, it, it just feels very cast off. Yeah. It's, it's the small market treatment in the NFL, right? Like, I mean, we see this with new Orleans in particular, and there's so much history with that, with new Orleans as well, you know, down to, the, you know, the ridiculous like bounty situation all the way up to the NFC championship game in 2018 and like all these other things Like there's so many examples of New Orleans sort of being this forgotten market, except for when it sometimes feels like the NFL needs a punching bag. You know what I mean? And so you're in a situation here and it's funny because it's not just the NFL, right? It's major publication. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's large websites like this. I don't mind saying it like this 
this uh, coach of the year graphic was was pro football focus and everything. And 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 pro football focus has usually been and and has consistently been sort of more. Uh, I, I don't want to say Saints centric, but let's just say like Saints positive, Saints forward, more favorable. I guess you would. And so I was surprised to see like of all outlets, PFF to leave Sean Payton off of that list. But we have to remember that the national perspective for coach of the year in particular isn't really about like what team or anything like that, but it does come down to a different list of criteria that nationally people don't have the, usually don't have the capacity to comprehend. And when I say capacity, I simply mean that they also don't have the access to comprehend, right? They're trying to cover 32 different teams Mm -hmm. and have it. So it kind of comes down to, okay, which team did we think wouldn't win and is winning now and has a good record or is on like this hot win streak, like the Miami dolphins were and stuff. And so like, I, I understand it from that perspective, but I felt like there were, there were enough high profile thing with COVID being such a high profile situation with the 58 starters, 57 starter record breaking NFL record in terms of, you know, starters in a season that felt like it was a lot more high profile than maybe I assumed it was hurricane Ida felt like it was a lot more high profile than it was because it was outside of sports. Even um, I thought that those things would translate outside of the local market. But what I've learned is that it really still only translates within the local market. Like our ability to appreciate Sean Payton, the coaching staff of the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Saints organization as a whole in navigating the specific situations that we've talked about and more, I'm sure, um, that we haven't heard about. It's our ability to comprehend it is greater than the comprehension of the sort of the split focus that comes with national coverage and everything. And so I was disappointed to not see Sean Payton's name on that list, but you I left. Think, you but were I, more than just disappointed. I, yeah, no, I, I'm disappointed by it, but it, it is something that I do find funny. Mm-hmm. Like I do find it funny that like, it just feels like no matter what this coach does, because we also saw him win with Taysom Hill without Drew Brees a year ago. We saw him go, what, 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater two years ago and put this team, keep this team in playoff contention, send this team to the playoffs. The 2018 season, like all of these different things, those warranted more of the focus than maybe some of these things that are happening more locally would from a national perspective. And they didn't pay attention to him then either. But, but... They're more than happy to say, well, you know, he's probably got a really great broadcasting career when he's all done in New Orleans. And like, that's a perfect example of, oh, now you're a benefit to something that we're doing. And it's the same, you know, like as as we've like with Dennis Allen, I see Bill O'Brien's name on coaching lists (laughs) constantly. Bill O'Brien, a failed NFL coach, a failed college coach, a bad executive when he had the opportunity and Mm -hmm. you keep seeing his name there. Dennis Allen, who has put together one of the great defensive stretches, all those things considered too, not just strategically, but with the players that he's had to utilize at different times. And he's not on the list of coaches that you expect to get hired immediately after this season. I mean, essentially when you see the stats that for for Taysom Hill's start to his career, the eight starts that he's had, he's had basically the greatest NFL scoring defense of all time at his disposal. 12.3 12.3 points a game, I believe it is, when Taysom starts. Yep. So you're talking about the Dennis Allen has put together for Taysom Hill, a guy who he, the team knows is limited. The offense itself has limited talent available to it around him, and they've given him 
a chance to win every single game he's been in. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, again, that is stuff that when you're talking about who should be on the hot coaches list, what should be an amazing story? Why? Are, I don't understand in general. Nobody's talking about Cam Jordan's resurgence uh, nationally. You know, nobody's right. talking about the, the defensive uh, stretch of football that this team has put together for over a month and a half. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It It, it is remarkably quiet. It is remarkably quiet. It's usually something that's kind of mentioned in passing, right? You know, this New Orleans Saints, they, they have a great defense. And if you're an offensive coordinator, you probably don't want to see him. You know, Cameron Wolf actually did a really nice, really nice piece. I want to shout out the brother. He did a really nice piece on what the New Orleans Saints do, but you don't see that across the rest in terms of the attention around New Orleans, right? You see the, the usual people, the usual Saint supporters out there, Kay Adams, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But you don't see like kind of the national coverage that you would expect to see for a defense that has done what this defense has done. And Cam Jordan has seven and a half sacks in the last three games, 11 and a half sacks on the season, even though he didn't get his first sack until week seven, <laughs> week seven. Like that's an incredible run and just a flip of a switch. And of course, it, it's a testament to what we've always known about the New Orleans Saints is how important the defensive line unit is as a whole. And Cam Jordan talks about that. Like he credits a lot of his success to having David on your back, having Marcus Davenport back, these linebackers in the field, all of that. It's a, but that's just, that's Cam Jordan's personality, but it's, it is surprising at the very least to see the lack of attention for the defense. Usually the news cycle loves a defense. They love a defense. Yeah, this you would, know what I mean? This, this is like Baltimore Ravens type productivity. Right. And for years, you would have gotten that reputation out of the Ravens. People would have continued that story for you. And they, you know, uh, but for the Saints, for the years, and now that this defense has been as good as it's been, now this is the fourth year of this defense under Dennis Allen really being great, not just good, but elite. Um, It it just feels like it's not talked about. uh, And just so many, so much of this season has flown under the national radar. Even now that, you know, you look at the wins over the quarterbacks that they've beaten this season, Mm -hmm. the quarterbacks that the saints have beaten the teams that they've beaten at different times. It's if there's no mention of it, there's just none of this type of like, yeah, you you don't hear people saying, I don't want to play the saints in the postseason. And I know that there are fans who think that, well, you know, saints make the postseason. What's the point? They'll be one and done or whatever. Man, if if the Saints get into the playoffs, squeak in at nine and seven and get a favorable first round matchup against the Rams, which I think mm-hmm. is a team that you'd like to play in the first round, oh, considering yeah. that Matthew Stafford is the quarterback, a guy right. who's never won a postseason game, who throws pick sixes at mm-hmm. a pretty alarming rate, considering the team that he's playing on. If you're the Saints and you steal one like the the, the Seahawks stole one against you, you know, over a decade ago, well then isn't that worth it to me? That memory alone, right. that right. could be the 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 precursor to another resurgence of this franchise because that's what it did for Seattle. The the the, the beast quake game set that up for the yep. Super Bowl run. So you're trying to you want wins. This is the NFL. You want wins. This isn't college football where you say, "Well, we can we we can go ahead and lose this because we got a, we got recruits coming in." This is, no, you need these wins today. There is no right. tomorrow. Right. And I think in this NFC. Who knows? Take the shot, man. If with right. that defense, you're going to have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that that's something that like this New Orleans Saints team, it's unique 
for this team, right? Because we've talked for so long about this team being, you know, this offensive firepower, you know, this offensive, you know, big time juggernaut and everything like that. But now all of a sudden you're seeing the the New Orleans Saints being led by their defense. And we've watched this transition over the past few years, right? 2017 on, probably started a little bit earlier than that, but 2017 was really where you got the personnel in the building, Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, so on and so forth. And so you saw sort of the, 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 the sort of change and then it it amplified with Demario Davis. It amplified with the fantastic play of Cam Jordan. And then so then all of a sudden you added this defense that could win you games. And we saw it literally take place against the Carolina Panthers last week. Cam Jordan and CJ Gardner Johnson built a game-winning drive on defense. And it was remarkable. It was remarkable to watch. Usually you're talking about like can the you know, can the quarterback lead the lead the team down the field and and score the touchdown or get in the field goal range to get the game with no, no no no. Cam Jordan got his sack, Cam Jordan got his pressure, CJ Gardner Johnson got his sack, CJ Gardner Johnson got his interception. They impacted four different plays on that final six play drive, I think it was, that ended in the interception, which sealed the game. And one of them, one of the plays was a penalty as well with, with Paul Sandivo. So, you know, whether you counter it or not. But the majority of those plays were impacted by two players on the defensive side to win that game. And it's that that's what the new Orleans saints are, but we saw it last year too. Marshawn Lattimore making a tackle on fourth and five, a four yard gain to Mike Williams against the chargers to uh, seal the game in overtime and in the game on a defensive possession for the new Orleans saints. Like, We've seen this over and over again. The the pick six by PJ Williams against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in their first meeting of the uh, uh, of this season. You know the uh, PJ Williams had another interception that sealed the game at another point. Like we we continuously see this, and now this is what the New Orleans Saints identity is all of a sudden, which is completely flipped on its head from what we've expected in the past, and even what we expected at the beginning of the season because we were like, oh, Jameis Winston's coming through. He's got a cannon. They're going to try to light it up on the offensive side, and and the Saints never push themselves away from what turns out to be their comfort zone, which is grind it out and be better than the team across from you on the defensive side. Yeah, all, all the personalities of this team now, because oh. of the absence of a, of, a, of the big personality of James Winston, right. um, Alvin Kamara not really having the same kind of um, impact um, in, a, in, a, in a numerical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, his value hasn't diminished, but his impact right. certainly is, statistically has. But you don't have those guys on the offensive end who bring that attention to that side of the ball right now. The voices of this team are C.J. Gardner-Johnson. They are Cam, Cam Jordan. They are uh, Quan Alexander. They are Demario Davis. Those are the people who now, if you, the first names that I'm associating with the New Orleans Saints are all defensive players outside right. of Alvin Kamara. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Like There was a whole conversation right around, okay, with your breeze gone, who's going to be the leader of this team? And, you know, some people thought maybe it would be Michael Thomas. Unfortunately, he was available, th- unavailable throughout the season. Jameis Winston felt like a natural leader coming into that situation. But really all season long, it's been Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Malcolm Jenkins. You know, it's it's been these defensive players in the very beginning. And I think Cam Jordan is really the one, you know, that is kind of the face of the franchise at this point, you know, Um you look at his post-game interviews, you look at the media that he does, both with local media and national media, you look at him being the guy that effectively sets the tone for this New Orleans Saints defense. You look at his, you know, um, sort of desire to always shout out the teammates around him before acknowledging his own success at the same time being disappointed by his numbers. Like this is still the same guy that said, 
I think it was a game where he got four or five sacks against Matt Ryan in a game. And he said, well, I should have had seven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's still that guy. Like he still wants to go out there and produce to the best of his ability. No questions asked, but he puts all of it on the shoulders of the defense as opposed to just like, you know, pulling a muscle by patting himself on the back or whatever. And I think that that kind of leadership is really, you know, in- incredibly important. And you can see the appreciation for the personalities in New Orleans. Drew Brees now, yeah, I think he's done a good, great job his first year with NBC. Um, they're having that conversation, those conversations coming up via Albert Breer of Sports Illustrated, talking about Sean Payton potentially getting some, you know, desire from networks after his career. Uh, Cam Jordan has already done sideline reporting for the for the XFL and definitely has a media career after his uh, after his career. Roman Harper with the SEC Network, right? Deuce, Deuce McAllister being with uh, WWL, being the, the, the color guy. You've got um, Malcolm Jenkins, who every now and then pops up on CNN when they feel like talking about black folks without fear mongering. Like every now and then they get him involved, you know what I mean, when they're comfortable with it. So I think that like you can see it across the NFL. I have no doubt that Alvin Kamara is going to have some type of a, a media career or some type of an entertainment career after his uh, after his his NFL career. Like all of those personalities those aren't by mistake. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That that's organizational. That is a part of the scouting process. That is the new Orleans saints identifying the personalities that they want in their building before they ever join the team. You know what I mean? And, and that kind of work is, is, is really important because that creates the camaraderie that creates the leadership. Jameis Winston probably has a career in, in media if he wants it afterwards. He's incredible when he talks about breaking down plays and how, you know, what he sees on the field and things like that. Like there's a lot of this in, in New Orleans and none of it is by mistake. No, I mean, you can, you, you could always see, you know, as you watch Sean Payton, it's like, you can see the template is there for him to fill a Gruden type role. Yes. Without yeah. the smugness, mm-hmm. like Sean being a much more relatable person, a yes. guy who can laugh at himself and yeah. others um, in a real way. Like, I, I don't I don't think you'd have a problem sitting down having a beer with Sean Payton or whatever. Yeah, he's got uh, that Kevin James energy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Did that die flatly, you know, trying to put that Kevin James hype speech at the dome? All I'm saying is they won the game after they played it. So, but did, you know. did anybody really catch that vibe? I said, I, I, Luke, Luke Johnson tweeted about it and like they, they played it. And then the immediate next play was the 26 yard touchdown, 21 yard touchdown run by Carolina. And then the, the extra point. And I was like a hundred percent of plays after they rolled that damn thing resulted in Carolina points. Like, Get nope. rid of it. <laughs> I don't even I wouldn't even think of it like I get it you try to push something for your coach I get it right but I think you don't need that for this team right like that's the one thing about marketing in the, for the Saints mm-hmm. is that you've never had to give them give fans extra they don't right. need extra they've got right. all the motivation they need yeah. is when those guys in black and gold walk out onto the field that fan this, this is a fan base that does not need an extra firecracker in its back Mm-hmm. Um, especially this week, as yeah. you get into, I guess, probably the most important Falcon Saints game in a few years now, um, considering what's on the line for the Saints in particular, 
But this feels a lot like, you know, we've seen this before with the Saints. This is a historical thing for this these two teams that it's come down to the last week of the season before or the last game between these two and the opportunity to get to the postseason is there. Mm-hmm. The last one, that 25-23 loss, you know, the big comeback by the Saints, some missed uh, extra, some missed field goal extra points, things like that, cost them huge. You get fall behind, you get Trevor Simeon making a comeback. Matt Ryan looking like Michael Vick at certain times. <laughs> But this grows wheels against New Orleans. It's this wild. is a much different situation for the Falcons now. Everything is yeah. out for them. Um, but certainly they don't want to go out losing to the New Orleans Saints uh, at the end of this year. Realistically, though, is this a Falcons team that can come in and steal this game? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is, right? It's a divisional game. You never count out those divisional opponents and everything like that. And we've always talked about it, right? Divisional games in the NFC South in particular are weird. They get real strange. All of them this year have been weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I think, you know, look, New Orleans generally, if they lose a game to Atlanta, they tend to split historically, typically. But this is different. Like, this is different for both of these, for both of these teams. And so the thing that I think makes Atlanta so competitive against New Orleans Saints is that they match up well on the defensive side when it comes to the passing game, um, their press man coverage. I mean, that, that's what this team was built to do, right? The, these divisional teams were all built to match up with one another. AJ Terrell has been fantastic so far this season. If you had AJ Terrell and Michael Thomas, I'd, I'd give the Saints the edge there, but you've got AJ Terrell and you've got Marquez Callaway, you've got Traquan Smith, you've got Deontay Harris. So I think this has to be a little bit more of a Deontay Harris game than the Marquez Callaway games that we've seen here recently, because I don't know the matchup, you know, just being honest, the matchup between Marquez Callaway and AJ Terrell. I'm going to take AJ Terrell in that matchup. He's been outstanding this season. Alvin Kamara, probably least effective against the Atlanta Falcons than any of the other divisional games in his career so far. The Atlanta Falcons generally defend him pretty well. Deion Jones, Foye uh, Luakon, like they do a very good job against Alvin Kamara. So I think the two players on the offensive side that have to make this thing work for New Orleans are Taysom Hill, which can be with his legs, right? doesn't have to be through the passing game. But then when it is through the passing game, some creative usage of Deontay Harris. And then that ends up stretching Atlanta horizontally. You could do some things interestingly pre-game, or sorry, pre-snap in terms of your personnel selection, in terms of your pre-snap motion, things like that to stretch Atlanta's defense a little bit more horizontally, take advantage of their man-to-man coverage, move linebackers out of the box, and then find ways to utilize Alvin Kamara in those situations so that he can become a little bit more effective that way. Deion Jones and, and Foye Aluakon are having down years for themselves. Deion Jones is having a very down stretch over the course of the past few games. And I think a lot of that has to do with the situations that the defense has been put in. Um, but they are coming off a game in which they had three interceptions on, on Josh Allen. Now there were elements. It was snowing. Josh Allen made some bad decisions and stuff like that. But that's still confidence building for a defense that's going into a divisional game. So I think that they can match up on the offensive side. The Atlanta Falcons are a true threat, especially if Kyle Pitts is on the field. Kyle Pitts went over a thousand yards receiving this season, not by accident, but because he's been a focus in the in the in the game or or for, for this team and their offense. He's only got one touchdown though, which is kind of wild. Like it, it's it's Julio Jones all over again. I mean, they, they've done it again, which is kind of wild. But Cordero Patterson has had a full resurrection in his career in Atlanta because finally a team figured out how to use the poor guy uh, in splitting his time in the backfield and as a receiver. So the Saints have their hands full with weapons, Russell Gage as well, with weapons on that Atlanta passing game. So they have to find a way to kind of neutralize Kyle Pitts 
force the ball to stay in Matt Ryan's hands a little bit longer and then put themselves in a position to eliminate the run game, right? Cam Jordan said after the Carolina Panthers win, stop the run and then you get to have fun as a defensive lineman. That has to be their, their situation because then that also forces Atlanta to sort of go one dimensional in their usage of Cordero Patterson and use him to bolster what they're not getting in the receiving game. If you can force them to pass, but then put them in a situation where they don't feel where you're neutralizing or limiting Kyle Pitts as much as you can. But I think that all of those pieces match up and the, the Saints could go out there and, you know, or the Atlanta Falcons could go out there and disappoint the Saints. I think there's a real threat there and the Saints will approach this game as such. Uh, absolutely. I, I think you're right. Um, when you look at this, look, these are two teams that are a game apart. That's it. It's just a game. Right. And right. Um, that game is, is, is really um, – this weekend is, is going to be the, the tale for both of them. And I think if you're Atlanta to go eight and nine with your first year coach and all the changes that they've had to go through two players having to, to, to be sidelined, not having all the of their guys again at, dis, at their disposal. It's been a very weird year for the Falcons, but if you close it out and you're eight and nine and you beat the saints, you keep them out of the playoffs, then yeah, they're going to feel good going into the off season. And if you're the saints, it's a much different note to go eight and nine, it'd be a lot different if they, you know, win this game, you end up eight and nine, you say, okay, well, it was a tough season you fought through, but to fall backwards into that eight and nine and lose to the Falcons, Mm -hmm. there's going to be a much different feeling in new Orleans. People, no matter what, I think it washes in the mind of a lot of fans. It washes all the good that happened over this season to be eight and nine and lose to the Falcons. So I think this is, this is symbolic and it's real. It means something in both ways for the Saints going forward. Uh, but to me, it's, you know, this it comes down to the quarterbacks again. It always does. And for Taysom Hill, it's not about matching Matt Ryan yard for yard, touchdown for touchdown. It's effectiveness. And that for him is just going to be ball security and extending drives enough okay. to allow the defense to do its job. But you can't ask them. Like, that's the thing. Taysom can't put them in a position where he's saying, I need y'all to only hold them to 12. Right. If they do that over the course of the game and the strategy that plays out is one thing, right. but he can't put them in a position where they have to go out and say, if we give up more than 12, we're going to lose. That's right. a bad place to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the big keys for me over on the offensive side comes down to protection. And, and I mean it in, a, in three different ways, protection in terms of protecting the quarterback, protection in terms of protecting the ball, and then protection in terms of protecting possession. Right. So extending drives, converting third downs, picking up first downs, winning on first and second downs, all of that, which helps you keep possession of the ball longer, keep the defense on the sideline, keep them fresh, keep that Atlanta offense on the sideline and keep them out of rhythm in that way, particularly in those opening drives where you're still going through those scripted plays and then maintaining possession of the ball, which is something that the Saints offense has done well so far this season and has done well, particularly late in in the season. They have to keep that up. I mean, Ian book being, you know, the Ian book, Miami dolphins game sort of being the, the exception to that, but would you really expect, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that when it comes down to the games that they've, they've been competitive in uh, with Taysom Hill, it's been about protecting the ball, right? Don't turn the ball over. You saw them run a rugby scrum at one point, you know what I mean? All these things to, to keep the ball in the hands of the offense. And then you have to protect the quarterback. The saints last week were down four of their five starting offensive linemen. The only starting offensive lineman that they had out there in that Carolina win was Cesar Ruiz and Cesar Ruiz has struggled this season a lot. And so I think you have to look at the possibility here 
You expect to have Eric McCoy back. He was already activated off the COVID-19 list on Saturday, which gave him the chance, left the door open for him to potentially test back in on Sunday. That didn't work out. It was a long shot, but they didn't want to make it 0% chance, you know? And so he's already activated. So he should be back on Sunday. Ryan Ramchick has been limited Wednesday, Thursday. We'll see if he's able to get back out on the field. Toronto Armstead, on the other hand, hasn't practiced so far this week, which could go one way or another. Like we've seen the Saints do that with him before. Then he practices on Friday and then he plays. But with all the injuries that the Saints have dealt with on the offensive line, that becomes the next big question mark. Can you protect uh, Taysom Hill when he does drop back to pass? Taysom's been outstanding against the Blitz this season. He's been really, really good against the blitz. Very careful with the ball, hits vacated areas, makes the right choices, and has been an effective scrambler in those situations as well. He's picked up 19 first downs this season as a blitzer against, or excuse me, as a runner against the blitz. 19 out of the, what, eight games that he started so far this season or something like that, six or whatever it is. You know, yeah, they've, six. yeah. And so you, you get him out there and he's making the right decisions with the ball in his hand when he feels pressure, which is good. And then the, 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 additional piece to it is the more that you force a defense to blitz and to dedicate those additional, you know, pass rushers from the second and third levels, you leave holes open on defense. You run the risk of not being able to switch on a crossing route and stuff like that. So I would look for the saints to kind of game plan as much of that into it as well in anticipation of Atlanta dedicating additional pass rushers and manning up against their receivers. The, the biggest thing offensively too that's been an issue knowing that they're limited in receivers has been getting Alvin Kamara going mm. he's had he had a very nice carry last week but overall it was a, again it's a struggle we know he's had the lowest yards per carry of his career that's not on him you know right. I think people are you know you can't use that as a reflection of his ability he hasn't changed he, uh, he looks healthy uh, all those things are there it's just again that blocking hasn't been consistent the offensive line hasn't been there. the offensive line the, the passing game as a weapon has not been able to distract people right. from him but how do the Saints generate something against this Falcons defense to get him 60 plus yards? Because I think yeah. that's where you really need him to be. Yeah. And, and here's I'll, I'll add one more piece to why Alvin Kamara's numbers are different. He, he's he's also at a career high in terms of carries per game. Yes. On an average. So he's also serving a different role than he usually serves. Like he has to be the guy now that also picks up the short yardage. ones. They would usually in, in Alvin Kamara's past 2017, 2018, Hand it off to Mark Ingram when you needed two, three yards. In 2019, 2020, hand it off to Latavius Murray when you needed two or three yards. Mark Ingram got back halfway through the season <laughs> and then has been injured, right, and, and unavailable for different reasons. And so Alvin Kamara is now the person that you go to in space, but he's also and, and running the outside zone and things like that. They love to run. But now he's also the player that has to try to pick up two or three yards in the middle of the offensive line, in the middle of the defensive line. So he's also being asked to do something entirely different than what he's ever been asked to do in his career so far. And I think he's handled it well. That's one of the other reasons that you're seeing like the production level in terms of numbers, as you observe, in addition to an injured offensive line, a passing game that's not supporting. He went up against 72.36% or something like that. Eight man boxes against New York, 60 plus percent against the uh, the. No, yeah, I, sorry, that was 72% against the, the Bucks, 60-plus percent against Miami. And then you know, they were able to do some things creatively that forced Carolina out of eight-man boxes. Uh, and I think you'll, you'll see all that. We talked about some of it pre-snap motion, you know, swing passes out into, the, out into the flats, things like that. So 
I think that the the way that you get Alvin Kamara cooking a little bit more in this game is a, a little bit of what you saw the New Orleans Saints do in the second half against Carolina. New Orleans started off that first half against Carolina with minus four rushing yards when they walked. Yeah, the, half, the first half it was terrible. Yeah, and and but they stuck with the run game in the second half because they were in position to do it. They didn't have a huge deficit. They went into halftime down only one as opposed to down a full score or anything like that. Like all of that makes such a big difference. And it allows you to be able to come out and say, all right, we're going to continue to run the ball. And that's what the New Orleans Saints did. Then they finished the second half with 77 rushing yards, finishing the game with 73. The What they did in the second half that was different than what they did in the first half is that they changed their personnel packages. A lot more Deontay Harris in the second half, a lot more Deontay Harris in the slot that forced Carolina into nickel defenses or five defensive backs and only two linebackers. So that made that Carolina defense lighter. It made that Carolina defense stretch horizontally so that they weren't able to stack the box bit. And when they did, then they started swinging Alvin Kamara out to the outside and throwing it to him in the passing game, which forced linebackers to play from behind him. And then so you saw that actually early on in the game as well. The big 29 yard, I think it was, catch and run to open up the game for Alvin Kamara. The first two plays, eight man boxes. Then they run that play to Alvin Kamara. The next play, six man box. The next play, seven man box. It immediately changed the way that Carolina played against New Orleans. And then they got a little bit more confident and started going back to stacking the box again. But in the second half, they weren't able to do that. And then so then they started using their focus on Alvin Kamara against them. The big 12, 14 yard run against um, against Carolina by Taysom Hill. Mm-hmm. They had Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill out in, in the shotgun. Taysom Hill swings before the snap. That brings one of the linebackers out of the box. The snap happens. Calvin Throckmorton pulls. He evens up the numbers on the right side in terms of, uh, of like hat on hat for them. And then uh, Taysom Hill just follows Calvin Throckmorton through the hole and then he picks up a first down. So they use the focus of Alvin Kamara against them, which then later allowed them to continue to utilize Alvin Kamara. So I think you have to just be creative in terms of what you're doing pre-snap, the way that you're using personnel groupings. The Saints can use Juwan Johnson as a means of getting an idea of how and, and, and therefore also dictating how um, defenses deploy against them. If you put Juwan Johnson out there in a huddle, do they treat him as a third wide receiver or do they treat him as a tight end? Do they come out in a base package or do they come out in nickel? Based upon that information, you can game plan and you can sort of change either change or adjust your game script and play flow to better suit what it is that you want to force Atlanta to put out on the field. When we talk about that strategically, one of the big criticisms this season of Sean Payton has been his in-game adjustments at times and his play calling, whether people have felt it's been either too conservative or uh, the timing of certain calls. I just want to get your thoughts on what you see in his play calling and if those criticisms are any more legitimate than they would be of any coach. Are we are we focusing just because of the output, the outcomes that Sean Payton has got this season, or has there been a real difference in the quality of his play calls. I think there's two pieces to it, right? I think that there is a little bit of a still expecting the New Orleans Saints to be Drew Brees' New Orleans Saints when it comes to the quarterback position, right? I think that there's still a little bit of an expectation of that. Not to say that Drew Brees has done anything to spoil or anything the way that we look at this 2021 season because everything about this 2021 season is too different to really say anything about Drew Brees. You know what I mean? But I do think that there's, there was a bit more of an expectation that, oh, we won't notice any difference. And I don't know why that expectation was generated, 
but it was. <laughs> and I think that that has been a part of that. But I also think that there's like a lack of context in that too. How much of the playbook is actually available to you when you're on your third string quarterback and it, it during a five game losing streak? How much of your full playbook is actually available to you when you have a one healthy starting offensive lineman or two starting healthy offensive linemen at most? How much of that playbook is really available to you in that? And, and how much does that actually impact you? You know, I think that some people were really mad about Sean Payton's play calling against the Dolphins, which shocked me. That shocked me because you're down to your fourth string quarterback who's never taken an NFL snap before. Hasn't even ever been active on game day before. Like the guy, Ian Book, threw passes for the first time to wide receivers running full speed routes right before the game during pregame warmups. Right. They didn't get to practice. They were all separated and, you know, doing the whole like virtual thing and stuff like that. There was so much context that was lost in that game immediately. And everyone was kind of, you know, I saw a lot of folks that were like, Sean Payton's done, Sean Payton, this, that, and the other. It's like, what did you expect in that game against Miami? Like, did you really expect the offense to just come out and not miss a beat when it had already been missing beats? The entire song, like the first three verses of the season were missing beats. And you thought Ian Book was going to come in and and correct your sample rate? Like, no, that's not going to happen, you know? And so there's just a lot of it that I think is, is, is a lack of context and an understanding that, no, your fourth quarterback on a roster can't run the same playbook as your first quarterback on the roster. No, your second quarterback on the roster can't run the same playbook as the first quarterback on your roster, right? There's so much to it that's that's different and that's nuanced. So I think that some of it is that has Sean Payton made some questionable calls on, you know, third and short, things like that? Yeah. So has every coach around the NFL. You know what I mean? You look at the game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, the nine to zero shutout that the Saints had, four of the five there's a there's an analytics site called EDJ Sports that does an incredible job talking about coaching decisions. And a little bit of it is kind of like arbitrary, you know, win percentages and things like that, that some coaches may find arbitrary, some coaches may not. But regardless, they do they have a metric by which they decide what are the five worst coaching decisions of a week. Four of the five worst coaching decisions of that week were Bruce Arians against the New Orleans Saints defense. It happens, y'all. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is a thing. And I think that with that came a lot of that game too. I also saw a lot of people say, well, Pete Carmichael called a better, a better game. Pause. Pete Carmichael called a game in which Taysom Hill was not to turn the ball over. They were aggressive early. They put Tampa back on their heels. They built up a lead and then they won with defense. And so Pete Carmichael's game plan in terms of what his play calls were in concert with Dennis Allen was don't lose the damn ball. Don't turn the ball over. Don't give them extra possessions. Don't give them momentum. That was it. And so I just think that sometimes it's easy to see something and say, that's perfect without actual understanding of what the intent is. Was it perfect? Yes. But was the perfection based upon a specific criteria in that one game, which is different than the criteria of the next or the other 16 also, yes. You know what I mean? So that's my feeling on the way that some folks have maybe addressed the, the play calling around Sean Payton. There have been some questionable decisions. There's no doubt about that. But what's interesting to me is that 
a lot of people got mad about a third and two in particular, or maybe it was a fourth and two in particular, to where they had Taysom Hill throw the ball on a right. It was against the Dallas Cowboys. The very next week, Sean Payton called two plays in third and three or law or excuse me, third and three or shorter. They were mad the week before against Dallas Cowboys because the Saints didn't run the ball. The next week, they ran the ball twice in both of those situations and didn't pick up the first down, one of which with Taysom Hill, one of which was one of the backs. No conversation. No conversation there. So I think that some of it is also around the sort of like mystique of the Drew, excuse me, the mystique of the Sean Payton Taysom Hill relationship and this sort of like believable, this, this sort of gullibility of folks to believe that Sean Payton is just the only person that believes in Taysom Hill in the entire world. It is never going to give up on him and everything when he also didn't win the quarterback competition to begin the season. So I'm always very, very interested in that and also didn't take over for Jameis Winston when Jameis Winston did get hurt. They went to Trevor Simeon first. Some of that had to do with injuries, things like that. But if you have this un unbreakable bond between the two, it's, it's hard to argue that based upon the first half of the season. You know what I mean? So those are all my thoughts. That was a very long winded way of saying, oh. yeah, you need context. Absolutely. Cause, <laughs> because my thought on the whole thing has been, it's too much on one play. We do this on one play all the time and right. we don't take those things into, into, um, you know, if Sean Payton misses the, the, the onside kick in the Super Bowl, are you saying it's a oh. bad decision? Right. Oh, in retrospect, are, is it, are we going to rewrite that and say it was a bad decision? It works. And we say, that's balls, man. That's Sean Payton. It's balls. He goes for it. And, but well, then you've got to live with that all the time. You've got to live with that. And that's what you've expected out of this team. So he runs his franchise that way. But at the same time, you've gotten more good out of it than bad. You've been put in a position you've never been historically because of that. And, and I think you have to look at all those things. How much of the playbook is available to a guy like Ian Book? Just because you say Sean Payton's got this giant playbook, if I've only got the Tecmo Bowl package for Ian Book of eight plays, <laughs> you know, what I'm really, because you're, right, you're right, more right. concepts now when you have yeah. a, a rookie quarterback, you're not dealing with very specific calls. You're saying, Ian, what can you do? Right. What do we know that you can do to be successful? But we have all these plays and some of these are just, I'm taking them off the board for you. Right. Because mentally, it's too much for your fourth string guy. And as you come down from Jameis, who had seven years of starts, right? You know, and you start, right. and then you start diminishing. And could that. run a hurry up offense, and you know all these other things. And then you talk about Trevor Simeon, a guy who had forty starts in the NFL, and then you start bringing that lower and lower. I mean, not forty, but uh, uh, twenty something starts in yeah. the NFL. Yeah. And then you start bringing that lower for 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 Taysom under ten starts, and then mm-hmm. book making his first you are cutting down pages of the playbook for each one of those guys. And then right. you take the plays for guys talent wise that can't execute this particular play for the, the, the players that you have available. You're, you're really not looking at it. And then you talk about what the matchup on the other side of the field and what they allow you to do. So now you're taking even more stuff off the table um, potentially or on the, or putting different things on. I think we have to look at it from a, uh, every play is its own situation. Yes. You know, that first and 10 and second and eight, those are two different situations. Yeah. Like if you've ever seen a, an actual like play call page for, for, for a coach, you've got 
a lot of situational stuff. You've got base packages. You might have like a specialty package that they're deploying for that game or something like that. You'll see like personnel packages, things like that. Then you're going to see things that are situational for like the second half of the play chart. First and 10, uh, second and then a, a different range of like five through eight. Uh, and then you'll see like third and short, third and long. Like there's a whole different, there's all these red zone, the hurry up. Like there's all of these different sort of situational pieces that end up going into all of this that is the way that that play sheet is broken down so you have a game script that you expect to be able to play and that was one of the things that i was tracking it during the game against carolina the first seven first downs of the new orleans saints they only had two positive plays which means they're immediately off script because your play calling situations talk about first and ten then they talk about your second and five through eight you don't have as big a section of second and thirteen plays or third and 13 plays. You, you don't just run a first and 10 play, right? Like it's, it's very different. And so it takes you off script to where you're kind of having to go and kind of pull from this and pull from that. So when you have a quarterback that's coming in is making, you know, first start since anytime that sentence is said uh, or first start ever, you know what I mean? Those types of things, you're probably going to end up in a lot of those off script situations because Protection calls aren't going to be 100%. Um, drop back depth is not going to be 100%, right? A seven-step drop back for Drew Brees might be a tight eight to 10 yards. A seven-step drop back for Trevor Simeon was 10 to 12 yards. That caused a lot of trouble for Teron Armstead, who has blocked a specific depth his entire career up until this season. And when your quarterback competition was between Jameis Winston and Taysom Hill, those are things that those guys are paying attention to. That ain't what Trevor Simeon is paying attention to. You know what I mean? And so it's entirely different. Like there's so many small things. Like we're literally talking about the difference of two to three yards. We're talking about the difference of a seven step drop back depth, which is approximately one second of a play. Changing the, the wide receiver in a position where how many steps does it take Deontay Harris to get to this point in his break versus right. how many steps does it take to Marquez Callaway to get to that same spot? And if I haven't thrown to him consistently, that release point, like I said, all those things, yeah. the drop back, the protection, the receiver steps, all those things are now variables that everybody is playing with in their minds at the same time. The NFL game is a beautiful, beautiful piece of music every single play but sometimes <laughs> the horn section gets a little off or the percussion section's a little late on setting up the beat you know what i mean like there's so many different things that can change play after play after play after play and each play is its own song you know what i mean and so because of that it's so easy it's so easy to get just a little bit off. And that's all that it takes. It's a game of inches. Same thing on the defensive side. We're talking about the Atlanta Falcons game, previewing this week's matchup. The last time that those two teams met, the big 65-yard uh, uh, catch and run by Cordero Patterson was because Paul Sanadibo was off a half a step because of hesitation. He didn't blow coverage. He didn't. It wasn't an egregious situation. It wasn't 2015, 16, 14 defense. It wasn't any of that. It was... A half a step hesitation by a rookie, by a rookie, right? Impossible has been incredible this season as a rookie, considering that he's somebody coming in that hadn't played football in almost two years before he hit up the hit the field going up against the reigning MVP to open up the damn season. But it was a half a step. 
You know what I mean? He didn't fall down. <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It was just a half a step. Like that's how precise this game has to be. The game against Tampa, this thing's played a perfect game of defense up until they didn't anymore. And you saw it, that drive that ended in a CJ Gardner Johnson interception. They ended up perfecting it, right? They, they ended up, it, it went from a beautiful sort of like symphony orchestra to, you know, a little bit of jazz. <laughs> Improv. <laughs> yeah, you know, but for a moment, they didn't play perfectly anymore. And you saw it, the penalty flags came out, all of that. And then Tampa started to build a drive at the end of the game where you only have a nine point lead, blah, blah, blah. And then CJ Gardner Johnson makes that great, you know, interception baiting uh, Tom Brady into that throw to Scotty Miller that he was able to, to pick up ground on and get the interception to seal the game. Those pieces, those things, though, are so important. How do you handle those moments where you get a little bit out of rhythm? Can you correct it? All that. And it's not easy to do. It's not easy to do, especially when your conductor is different four times in a season. <laughs> I, that's a, a really good way to put it, too, because I don't think people understand. Like, I think, we, you know, when you take that musical, the symphony type of analogy, mm-hmm. And people just think the conductor is a guy who stands there and waves a stick. And I've been in a choir. I've been in in those types of things. And it matters. Those hand movements, that Mm -hmm. timing, that understanding. Crisp precision. There is a musicians are very serious about who is conducting. There is a rhythm to it and trust that goes along with it. When are you bringing us in? When are you taking us out? And all those things. I think people don't understand how big a variable that is that you just can't plug and play. You don't actually you don't accidentally become maestro right that ain't just a nickname like <laughs> that's a lifetime of work homie like you have to do a lot of stuff and so you know it's 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 massively different it, it, it changes massively every time that you have a new quarterback in that you have a new wide receiver playing a different role than what they play Traquan smith's role this entire season when he's been on the field has been different than anything he's done so far in his career because he's been a slot guy his entire career out of out of mostly necessity And then the Saints finally got him an opportunity here to play his Z flanker role. And so he's adjusting to a brand new role again, again, this season. Um, Mark was number one wide receiver. You know what I mean? Like you have all these different things where you're shuffling in and out and Kenny Stills and Kevin White and like all these other receivers, like that all has an impact. It all has a massive impact on top of what happens when you change the quarterback. Got to call T.O. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) T.O. really is still looking for a job. Dude is in the Hall of Fame and still wants a job. I know it. I know it. He's bless his heart. I mean, physically, look, it's it's dope to watch the man out there physically, but nobody's hiring a 45 year old receiver. I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry, T.O. I love you, dude. Which is. It's not going to happen. I I don't understand why he's not on TV. It seems like if anybody would perfect television to be Terrell Owens. I know they stuck him on reality TV instead, like and everything, like trying to play off his the personality. And it's like, I mean, you would actually, think that, don't you think that Moss and To would have a would be perfect in a show together? Be fantastic together. That should be a show. That should be like its own flagship show for a network. Is is the two of them? Moss and To, two country boys. Oh, wide receivers who played a game a very different way. One that's the athletic, graceful Randy Moss, and then the powerful, explosive Terrell Owens. Right. Emotional two guys who are really emotional. Both love yeah. basketball. Man, I think there's a, I think there's a show there. That's Randy Moss and T.O. I, I, I would watch that. I would yeah, watch that. For sure. Absolutely. Uh, but this is going to be – I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring mm-hmm. game, obviously. Um, I think if somebody scores 20 in this one, I'd be shocked. Same. 
Um, but I feel like the Saints win this game. Ultimately, I think this is a game that they do win. Um, I think it, 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 to me, it's like a 17-13, 17-14 feel type to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm far more worried about that Rams 49ers game mm-hmm. because I know the Rams have something to play for. I know they want that number two seed. But again, it's Matthew Stafford in a big game against a very solid defense. Mm-hmm. And, and you just have to worry there as to whether or not the Rams will do what they're supposed to do. Right. I, I, and that's been their biggest thing all year. Games that they're supposed to win or games that have meant a lot, Matthew Stafford hasn't been big. Yeah, no, I mean, that those are the games that he doesn't show up for, you know, famously. Um, I, I think that the Saints are able to win this game this weekend against Atlanta. I think it's going to be low scoring as well. The over under set at 40. I think the, I'm taking the under, I know people are notoriously over types, but I think that this is like a 1916 type of victory, you know? Um, And so that's the way that I kind of look at this game, but I agree with you. Look, I don't think it's too much of an ask that the Los Angeles Rams win their game against the San Francisco 49ers. You know what I mean? I don't think it's too much of an ask, but you should be concerned about it. Like it's not guaranteed. The fact that they're, like you said, the fact that they're playing for their division makes a big difference and everything for sure. It gives them something to play for, but uh, I mean, do you really trust them? I don't know. I don't know. So I, I think the Saints can get into the playoffs and then you get to ask that same question. The very next week, can you really trust the Rams? Can you really trust the Rams? Now, the big difference is going to be offensive line play, stuff like that, growing up against um, Los Angeles' yeah. defensive line. Vaughn Miller, Aaron Donald, you know, like, that it's, just feels like a nightmare yeah, already. They're phenomenal. they're phenomenal. And so, like, you, you have to be ready for that. But even if the Saints get into the playoffs, the fact that they got into the playoffs, that's your winning culture at, at, on full display right there. If you're the New Orleans Saints. And I would even say that if you win this game and do your part of getting the playoffs and the Los Angeles Rams and the NFC West yet again, you know, fails you when it comes to getting the playoffs or, or playoff seating and stuff like that. We've seen it from Seattle at least four times in the last five years. And so it's it's a whole thing. But even then, like, I feel good about what the New Orleans Saints were able to achieve this season, considering everything that they were up against. So we'll see how it goes. But I think that the Saints can win this game. Los Angeles, San Francisco, we'll see how it goes. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo's injury, but get them still wanting to play him for some reason, can work in the Saints' favor uh, as long as the, you know, the the coaching staff in San Francisco doesn't wise up and change back to Trey Lance at some point during the game, which would just kind of give you that little, I mean, that's a big change of pace for that Los Angeles Rams defense to have to take and everything. So that's something that I would watch too, but. Yeah, I, I think the Saints can get into the playoffs with a little bit of help here. Yeah, because I think at the beginning of the season, I know I said 10 and 7 for this team. Same. And, and so if they finish 9 and 8, again, considering everything. Right. Dude, like we, we said 10 and 7, expecting you were going to get 17 games of, you know, James Winston. Winston. You were going to get 10 games or 9 games of Michael Thomas. You know, like there's so many. You were going to get 17 games with a head coach on the sideline. Like Your offensive very, line, you thought it would be healthy. You right, that- right. There were so many things that we we expected here, and that didn't happen. And yet the Saints are still, at worst, two games off of what we predicted oh. and all. Outside of the injuries, I'm going to close on this. What has been the biggest positive surprise and what has been the biggest negative surprise for you at this Saints season? I think the biggest positive surprise for me, you know me, I'm a defensive guy. 
I could talk about Taysom Hill. I could do that. But, but hasn't it been really a surprise for Taysom? It, he's done what you asked him to do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. For a guy like you're paying he $10 million, he's done that. Yeah. And so for me, I think the biggest positive surprise is Paul Sanadibo. Really, this rookie class of defenders, Paul Sanadibo and Pete Werner. Pete Werner, I would yeah. Say. Like, my goodness. Like, this is, this is another situation to where you're lucky usually – Usually, I know that the expectations are different in New Orleans based upon past draft classes and things like that. But usually you're lucky if you hit one out of seven, one out of five, one out of four. You know what I mean? You're lucky if you do that. And the Saints might have hit on a couple of different ones in, in, in this class. And, and in particular, Pete Werner, as well as um, as well as Paulson Adebo. I, I think they've been big time surprises and pleasant surprises, like positive surprises. I think that my. The, the biggest disappointment of this season so far has been the tight end room. I, I think that there was it, it, offensive line health is in there, of course, but, but really though. And so for me, it's a tight end room. Like there was so much expectation around Adam Trotman, perhaps unfairly. So, so much expectation around him, unable to keep Nick Vanette healthy and on the field. Uh, Juwan Johnson, I think made a successful transition to tight end, but can only really be utilized in sort of these spot situations. And stuff. And so that support for your quarterback was hasn't been there all season. And so I think I would highlight that as as my my other disappointment outside of like health and the obvious piece. Yeah, I think my disappointment is is, is Caesar Ruiz's lack of of development. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't think he was going to be an All Pro this year, um, or even, maybe even in his career. But I thought just his foundation would be a little bit better this year. And it just looks like times he just feels confused. Um, still with the speed of the game, the power of the game. Uh, they just It's just something that seems off, so that would be my disappointment. My biggest positive, I think, out as a player, um, to me, would, would just – I don't know if there's an individual player, but I really mm-hmm. like what Deontay Harris has done this year. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, him proving to be more than a part-time receiver, a guy who is a legitimate – uh, threat as a receiver, not just for big plays, but can make plays, you know, uh, in this, in the shorter range as well. You know, those yeah. uh, quick passes and then able to create things, a guy who could get you a first down. So I really like his, his improvement from, from year to year. Uh, I think yeah. those two guys, yeah, just it's it, on that offensive side, because defensively there's so many good stories this year on that defense. There yeah. aren't really a lot of people that you're saying, man, what happened to that guy? You know, we did that with Cam Jordan for seven weeks and now He's turned into old Cam Jordan. I mean, Cam Jordan of old rather than old Cam Jordan. <laughs> and then, you know, the same, we went through an up and down period kind of with um, Marshawn Lattimore. And then now he's yep. back to that form. Marcus Williams has been solid all year. You know, the linebacking core when it's healthy has been elite. The, the, the D line, that health issue has been there. But when those guys are there, again, that production, we've seen it. So defensively, there's so much good. Um, yep. Offensively, I think it's just, it's hard to judge everybody based on the continuity because that is, it's so delicate as you talked about. Right. Um, but those individual pieces, yeah, I think Cesar Ruiz as a number one pick, um, it, you know, that you took and you brought him in to be a starter and he feels like a marginal starter at best at either position, uh, the guard or the center position. That's, that's a real blow, I think, for this franchise as far as needing to secure those number one picks in a time of financial transition. Yeah. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. That makes a ton of sense for sure. But, but, you know, ultimately, again, I don't think, you know, Saints fans go into this game, be excited, you know, be, yes. be ready for um, a positive outcome. Uh, but at the same time, I would, you know, don't don't burn down the village if, if they lose this game. 
It's right. not over. It's not a. I don't. It's not a, a referendum on this season if they lose this last game. I don't. I don't see it that way. No, I don't think so. I don't think I look at the. I think I look at a win this game, regardless of whether or not the Saints go actually make the playoffs on the backs of the the Los Angeles Rams. In that case, <clears throat> I look at the season as a success, but I conversely don't look at a loss in this game as a failure for the New Orleans Saints. I mean, what they've overcome to even be in this conversation at this point is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, and you'd only have a losing season because it's an unbalanced schedule. Right. That's the only reason you would say that you're in this, you know, you're in this hole of you finish eight and nine. That's the, that's, right. that's it. You are legitimately in a 16 game season of 500 team. That's where you were with all of this. Um, so to me, let's get excited. Let's have some fun this Sunday. Dude, you got anything you want to throw out pitch to the folks before we go? Oh man. I mean, you know, you can always check out the daily podcast locked on saints um, and everything uh, every Monday through Friday it might be doing a lot. If the saints advance to the playoffs with a win and a Los Angeles Rams win, I'll do a live like 10 to 15 minute thing on YouTube and locked on saints um, and everything. But you know, outside of that, your usual Monday through Friday schedule, trying to keep you up to date with everything going on with the team. And of course you can follow on Twitter at Ross Jackson, Nola, man. Like I, I'm just excited to, see what the Saints are able to do this weekend in the postseason if they can get there. And I'm excited we got this back up and going. Yes, sir. We, it's going to be back every week. Um, we'll get back to our Wednesday schedule next week, and we will get Maddie in sooner or later <laughs> to come disrupt the flow as she does so well. <laughs> For Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter and at HITP with DG.com. Until the next time, we are the Dolphins. Oh, they make